So there's a couple of things that I want to talk about. And it's all in some way, shape or form in relation to getting to understand the brain. But more broadly speaking, getting to understand biology. And even more broader again, to understand what it is that you're striving to do when you take on a new subject. So the new subject that I've found myself having taken on is biology. I started with the most complicated thing in the universe and then went, whoa, I might have skipped a step. And what I've decided to do is learn about biology and in doing so, learn a little bit about the tiniest components of it to the biggest components of it to old stuff to new stuff, the, the whole range. But the question that it's, it's, it's kind of forced me to pose to myself is, what's the... What are the, the fundamental component parts of biology? So what, what you should always start at the start, but like what's the fucking start? As outlined in I think the previous episode, the cell is where it all started. So that's where you start. But then I started thinking, hang on a second, if you just move away from biology for a minute and look at it, pick a different topic, whether it's physics or business or waste disposal or logistics or the management of people or politics or whatever it is it doesn't matter when you embark on studying a new subject i'm wondering is the first thing that you do figure out what are the component parts what are what are its what are its components what are its constituents its factors its units its elements its ingredients its segments its building blocks like what's What's at the at base? Now it's not the smallest divisible thing because in physics I suppose you'd probably be as well off starting with the atom because the atom is the fundamental building block for matter. But that doesn't mean that an atom is indivisible because you can divide up atoms into smaller pieces again. They're literally called subatomic particles. But we don't generally talk about subatomic particles until we're talking specifically about subatomic particles. If we're talking about matter generally, the atom is, 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 is the smallest piece. It's the building block. It's the, the main component. It's the main constituent or part or element or ingredient in stuff, basically. And I think the cell is the equivalent for animate objects. If an atom is the fundamental building block of an inanimate object, then the cell surely is the fundamental building block for all animate objects or, or life forms, whether it be plant, fungi, human, or not even human, plant, fungi, or animal, or whatever else. Which, just thinking out loud, out loud, out loud, Freudian slip there, just thinking out loud, are there more? There's fungi. So mushrooms and shit, there's plants, which is kind of self-evident, and then there's animals, which will include fish and birds and reptiles and mammals and all that jazz. What are they? Are they kingdoms? I think they're the three kingdoms. Is there more kingdoms? Is bacterial, microbial kind of stuff? Is that another type of life form? Anyway, I'm fucking distracting myself. The component part of biology, say, of life, is the cell, in the same way that the component part of physics is an atom. But that made me think of something else, and it's, it's logistics. So, 
bear with us two seconds. I'm going to pull up the internet's definition of logistics. And I'm back in the room. Okay, so logistics refers to the overall process of managing how resources are acquired, stored, and transported to their final destination. The term is now used widely in the business sector, particularly by companies in the manufacturing sectors, to refer to how resources are handled and moved along the supply chain. The supply chain is basically just where it was dug out of the ground and every step in between to get to where it is now. And logistics is literally the movement of it. Is it in a refrigerated lorry? Is it in a big liquid tanker? Is it in the boot of your car? You know, how is it transported around? There's something that's relevant in logistics and in business generally, and it's what's called an SKU or a SKU. Sometimes it's SSKU. It's stock keeping unit. And it's in many ways the fundamental building block of business. That's a bit of a broad sweeping generalization, but you get the sentiment. Now what a SKU is, a stock keeping unit, it's the it's the component it's the smallest component part it's the main factor it's the main element it's the main ingredient it's the the smallest divisible thing in your business now like an atom it can be split again so just to dumb it down for myself if you run a sweet shop and just for argument's sake say you don't sell sweets individually this isn't the type of shop that you can go in and ask for two of those sweets three of those sweets and five of these sweets this shop only sells packets of sweets so the, the, the skew in that shop is a packet of sweets. And in business, you have to do what's called a stock take. And I'm going to dumb this down again just to, to get the, the sentiment or the gist of it across. If you're a shop that sells bags of sweets, say, and you buy 100 bags of sweets at the start of the month, and you sell 80 of them, doesn't take a fucking rocket scientist to figure out that you're going to have 20 left over at the end. So let's say you buy in another 100 bags of sweets. So now you have 120. And let's say you sell 80 of them, you have 40 left over. So you buy in another 200. So you have 240 in stock. You sell 100 of them, you have 140 of them in stock. And so it goes, okay? Nothing too difficult about this. You'd think it'd be quite easily managed. And it is, for the most part. But people do steal your sweets, People will forget to charge for sweets at the till. People will pay for their sweets and leave them behind them. And that muddies the waters in relation to keeping an eye on, on your stock levels. So once a year or once every six months, depending on the type of business, a business owner will undertake what's called a stock take. Whereby they look on their computer system, their till system, and they say, I've got 575 packets of sweets in stock, according to this printout. So what you do is you close your business down and you do it out of hours and you say, right, we've tallied what we should have, but you go and you physically count them one by one. And what you're counting one by one is a skew. You count all your skews, your stock keeping units. Now, like the atom is divisible into subatomic particles, you can open a packet of sweets and count the sweets that are inside them. But that's you're going into too much detail there. Because you don't sell individual sweets, so it's not relevant. Okay, so that's what a skew is. It's a stock keeping unit or a single stock keeping unit. And in a sweet shop, it's packs of sweets. I sell microgreens by the pallet load. So for me, it's a pallet of 
microgreens. For a different business, it's, it's different for different businesses, but all businesses have SKUs. And in relation to logistics more broadly, so looking at it as an industry, say, the SKU is a pallet. So the shop SKU is how many sweets it has. The guy who supplies the sweet shop he deals in boxes. He doesn't sell individual packets of sweets to shops. He sells boxes of this sweet, boxes of that sweet, and boxes of the other sweet. So the standard stock keeping unit or the skew for the wholesaler that supplies the sweet shop in the first place, their skew is a box. So when they're doing their stock take, they just count the boxes. They don't open up the boxes and count the packets of sweets that are in each box. No more than the sweet shop owner opens up the packets of individual sweets and counts the sweets that are in each packet. Now the manufacturer of the sweets who's selling to the wholesaler, they'd be more similar to myself insofar as a skew to them, a stock keeping unit to them is a pallet. Because when a wholesaler rings up and wants to buy, wants to place an order of sweets, they go, yeah, no problem at all. How many pallets of how many different types of sweets do you want? So the pallet is, in some sense, the fundamental building block of the overall supply chain. Because it doesn't matter what you're selling or how you're selling it. At a certain scale, you're dealing with pallets. And if you up that again, so let's say you're a company, let's say you're a logistics company, let's say you have a you own a port and you're moving people's goods in and out of your port from the four corners of the world. Your stock keeping unit is no longer a pallet because you don't move pallets around, you move shipping containers around. It's a standardized unit. So if you wanted to do a stock take of your port, you're not opening up all the containers and counting the component parts of them. No more than the sweet shop guy is opening the packet of sweets and counting the individual sweets. So different size businesses have different types of SKUs. But it's either a packet, generally speaking, say, it's either a packet, a box, a pallet, or a shipping container. And these, these levels for want of a better term, give a certain amount of order and predictability to industry generally. I recently needed to buy a pallet of seeds. I usually buy them in from the UK, but because of Brexit, that's gone a bit messy. So I'm getting them in from Spain now. And a pallet from Spain to Ireland is about 600 euro. It was about 200 euro from England to Ireland pre-Brexit. Now, if I wanted a quantity break on that, so if I wanted to say to my seed supplier, look, will you do me a deal on five pallets of seeds? They might be able to do me a deal on the price for the seeds, but it would be five times 600 because it's five pallets and a pallet is 600 euro. So it would be 3,000 euro to get five pallets across. The only way that I can really get a quantity break on the volume of seeds, and you can replace seeds with anything that you're buying, is to buy a full container's worth. 
But again, a shipping container is a standard size. It's 40 foot by 20 foot by 8 foot, which means that you can fit a certain amount of pallets, which are a standard size. They're 1000 mil by 1200 mil. And if memory serves me correctly, I think it's about 20 pallets in a standard 40 foot container. And the thing to remember here, I think, is that because of this standardization, because pallets are all 1,200 by 1,000 for what's called a standard pallet, there's Euro pallets, which are a slightly different size and muddy the water a little, but we'll stick with the standard size pallets. A standard size box will fit on a standard size pallet. Now, with pallets, there's levels. So let's say the pallet itself is 1,200 mil by 1,000 mil. So let's say your box is 1,200 mil by 1,000 mil. That means that you'll get one box per level. But let's say your box is the same dimensions as the pallet. It's 1,200 long by 1,000 wide. And let's say it's only an inch tall. Well, that means that you could stack, I don't know, 20 odds. 20 inches is what? Ah, off the top of my head, fucking maths, not my strong point. If it's only a narrow box, you can stack a lot of them very tall. But if it's a meter tall, you might only put two boxes on a pallet. So there are different standard sizes of boxes that will fit in different orientations to each pallet. And each pallet will fit snugly into each container. But even the containers, the containers themselves, they're called shipping containers for a reason. They're what you ship things worldwide in. So the big shipping container boats the vessels that carry thousands of these things around the place at a time they're designed with the size of their skew in mind because their skew is a shipping container forklifts all around the world are designed to take pallets of a certain size racking like shelves in warehouses they're all designed to accommodate a standard pallet all the doors in and out of warehouses all around the world are all designed with a 40 foot container in mind because it's a 40 foot container that sits neatly onto the back of an articulated truck so the entire shipping and logistics industry is based around the standardized sizes of shipping containers and the standardized sizes of pallets. And past that then, box manufacturers will have a preference for boxes that are gonna fit onto pallets. And I suppose the reason that I'm explaining all of this to myself is that in order to understand logistics and supply chain, which is an integral part of any business, you need to first of all understand what the skew is, what's the, the stock keeping unit, what's the component part, what's the building block, what's the constituent or what are the factors or the segments or the units or the, the fundamental ingredients. Once you know that, you can build a picture around that. And I think it's the same for pretty much everything. So what I was thinking then was, I think I used this analogy yesterday, I said, I think I said a spark is the fundamental part of a fire, but that, that's a bad example. I think a flame is the fundamental part of a fire. Because if you light a lighter, you have a little flame on it. And you light another lighter and you have a little flame on it. And another lighter and a little flame on it. But if you put 50 of those flames together, you've got a fucking fire. Now, what's the standard size flame? Is it a big flame? Is it a small flame? It's not quite as precise as 1200 mil long by 1000 mil long. But the point remains, fires have component parts they can be broken down to their fundamental constituent part which begs the question what's the story with other 
domains of interest that you might have. So I have an interest in politics. What's the fundamental building block? What's the main constituent, the main component part, the main ingredient of political discourse or of democracy? And I suppose the answer to that is the voter. The voter, the voting man or woman is the component part of politics. And it's funny because this is going to sound very self-serving of me because I've long had an interest in psychology. I've long had an interest in understanding myself and other people. Humans generally, getting to grips with the human experience. That's what 90-odd percent of this whole off-the-league thing has been. But it's not until you understand the human condition that you can understand politics. I've made that point before, but I've never made it in this context. Understanding people or understanding a person and understanding that people are different until you can understand that I don't think you've much business in trying to even understand politics more generally in the same way that you've no business talking about Einstein's theory of relativity if you don't know what a fucking atom is and there's no point in you talking about the health benefits of one thing or over another if you don't understand what a cell is. And I'm being a bit hypocritical, I suppose, in, in hindsight, because I've spoken at length about health and exercise and diet and biology and all the rest of it. And I don't have a good understanding of the cell. I mean, I'm literally only starting my journey down this rabbit hole now. Now, I'm not starting from scratch. I have, a, I suppose, a a very big, low-resolution picture of, of biology. But again, even, even in building a picture, this is fucking fascinating. So think of a picture. What's the component part of a picture? It's a fucking pixel. It's just, it's the, it's the tiniest little ingredient. It's the tiniest building block. It's the tiniest component part. And it's mad because in physics, there's different types of atoms. Does the, the periodic table are all elements? Are they all atoms? I, I, that's a physics rabbit hole. <laughs> I fucking crossed that bridge when I come to it. I'm going to stick with biology. But keeping with the same point, like so take so take politics, the component piece of politicals of, of politicals of, of political discourse or politics more generally, or even democracy, is is the voter, is the human being. But not all human beings were created equal. So it's not, it's not quite as clear as the container or the pallet. It's more akin to the box. There are certain parameters that a human being has to, has to fit in, but they're, they're still all very different. But they're not, there isn't an unlimited amount of different types of people. We can group people. And that's why I suppose I've had such an interest in personality research. Because you can kind of pigeonhole people to a degree. Now it's not an exact science, but you have to divide people up to some degree, you have to put them in some sort of a group. Now, what the identity politics heads get wrong here, I think, is that's what they view people as. They don't see people as individuals, they see them as component parts of their group. So they'll see you as being black, or gay, or a woman, or some form of minority, or a straight white cisgendered man, or whatever the fuck it is. And they they lose something in that. They haven't, they haven't hammered down to the component part. 
So that's been what's rattling around my brain over the last 24 hours. If you have any thoughts, suggestions, queries, concerns, all that jazz, you'll get me on 089 60 47 888. And on that note, I'll catch you soon.